Good morning, everyone. It's another beautiful Wednesday in the Pacific Northwest, uh, gray and kind of drizzly, which is just the way we like our mornings this time of year. <laughs> Today, I'm Elizabeth Copeland, and I am the co-host along with... Hallie Williams. Good morning, guys. And our show is called Out of Grief Comes Art. And today I have the, uh, Hallie and I have the pleasure of talking with Laurel Marlentes. My Spanish got a little rusty the last couple months and then I have to, to bone up on that again. But anyway, we'll be talking to Laurel today. And just briefly, I met Laurel a few years ago at the book reading of our first book, Brief Dialogue, the book. And at the Eagle Harbor Bookstore on Bainbridge Island. And Laurel came and attended that reading. And we've been talking ever since. And uh, I just want to also add that Laurel's story was um, kind of the basis of a play that I wrote called Untold that was performed a number of times, but most, most recently, right before the pandemic, we performed it at the University of Washington School of Medicine. And that was a really exciting time. So. It's not about me, it's about you, Laurel, um, and it's about our sponsors. So I'm now going to turn over the program to (laughs) Hallie. All right. Yeah, just a quick shout out today to our sponsor from Be Present Care. They're down in California. This episode is sponsored in part by Be Present Care, an organization that provides guidance, support, and conversation for transitions, caregiving, and end-of-life planning. Visit www.bepresentcare.com to learn more. Um, thanks, Stephanie, over at Be Present Care. We really appreciate you and are excited that you're supporting our podcast. So today we have Laurel. Hi, Laurel. Hi. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here with, with both of you. Thank you so much for having me on. You are totally welcome. Um, we have been super excited to have Laurel. Elizabeth has known Laurel, as she mentioned, and I'm actually going to ask Laurel how she relates and knows Elizabeth so you guys will get all of the inside tea of their relationship but this is my first time meeting her face to fi- well is it face to face we're, we're over to video zoom to zoom <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is my first time with her besides emailing back and forth to coordinate stuff and I'm just um, blown away by your beauty and also just your story so I'm feeling very lucky to get to speak with you today so without a doubt Elizabeth gave us without a doubt without further ado is what I meant to say Elizabeth gave us a little intro that she actually based one of her plays off of one of your stories um which is untold but I would love to hear from your perspective how you kind of got I don't know in line with Elizabeth and and your experience with that yeah looped into this 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 loveliness that we're in yes um you know I was thinking about it last night when sort of preparing to get on and chatting with you both. Yeah. And um, it was one of those meetings, Elizabeth, where I had like three different people kind of telling me to come to that grief dialogue book signing. And I remember sort of seeing a poster of it in the Eagle Harbor bookstore. I think somebody mentioned it. And then my husband worked with um, an an actress who you've done a few plays with. So it was one of those moments in your life where when you're hearing Mm. something from all these angles, you're like, what's happening? Like, I need to show up here. Like, this is... I'm being called. I'm being summoned. (laughs) This feels, you know, important. So it was, it was a really lovely um, meeting at at the, the the sort of the the book opening or book signing that book 
discussion, I don't know what you call it, um, that evening. And I remember when I met you, um, one of the first things you said to me was like, well, what's your story? Like, what's your grief story? And it was such a lovely way where you just went right to it and Mm -hmm. didn't kind of like beat around the bush. There was no sort of like tiptoeing. It was just like, hi, we're here. Grief dialogues. We're talking about grief. What's your story? And it was just really freeing. And so Mm -hmm. I just wanted to thank you for that. And um, I was just reflecting on just like the work you do of just opening up the dialogue. Yeah, she's great at that. Yeah. Well, let's back up for just a second. So why is Laurel here? Laurel's here because she is this crazy awesome writer and speaker but let me read to you a little her formal bio so you guys know who you're listening to so laurel is a writer speaker and sacred space facilitator dedicated to bringing healing support to miscarriage stillbirth and later term abortion loss her writing has appeared in the washington post and the new york times she is currently finishing a memoir about the stillbirth of her son and the spiritual journey it ignited um she has this little snippet that she wrote when I asked her. I was like, you know, just ex- what, what's, your, what's your view on, on what you do? And she was like, writing a memoir, a personal essay, is a way to first discover one's truth and then discover the language to communicate that truth to others. Guys, isn't that powerful? I yeah. love that. Um, so... That's super powerful. That's fantastic. Yeah, right? quote you on that one. I know. <laughs> That's definitely, yeah. So, so Laurel... Um, and to our listeners, this episode is about stillbirth, 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 and abortion, and kind of talking about some um, topics that might be very heavy. So this is a little bit of a trigger warning. If this is a topic that is going to make you a little uncomfortable in a way that you're not sure you can deal with, maybe take a moment right now to uh, log off. But that doesn't mean to not listen to us and other ones. But okay, so I would love to hear your grief story. Um, if you are willing to share. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I guess I want to say in a nutshell, but it's hard to put a grief story in a nutshell, oh, but yeah, the same totally. way like you're chatting earlier, it's, you know, yeah. you can either take all day to tell it or we can sort of give you <laughs> yes. a yes. more condensed version. And I, I suppose the condensed version is, um, you know, my husband and I were living in Los Angeles. We were recently married and had been decided to start a family. I uh, spent a couple months trying to get pregnant, mm-hmm. got pregnant, um, felt very effortless. We were sort of in that place in your life where everything's coming up roses. We were newly wed. We had new jobs, um, you know, just that sort of wonderful naivete of pregnancy. I'm going to be the goddess pregnancy yeah. um, narrative that our culture can kind of like push sometimes. I fell right into it. And, um, you know, shortly into the pregnancy I discovered that one, it was a a twin pregnancy. I sort of learned retroactively. And so then was miscarrying one, one baby while still, um, growing another sort of growing another baby. They're in two separate gestational sacs. And, um, so that was sort of my first tiptoe into like, wow, like not in control, things can go wrong. Um, and it started sort of grieving, this this pregnancy that I was losing while holding on to a pregnancy I was still carrying and it was sort of learning my first experience and sort of holding the duality of wow one life passing out of my body while another life was still gestating and growing within it and that sort of I mentioned that because it comes it becomes a bit of a theme in the story for me mm-hmm. um so 
fast forward to the 20 week mark of the pregnancy and I started to get some news that my body was going into sort of extreme preterm labor and um you know, a couple doctor's appointments, a couple weeks was put on bed rest. And then a couple weeks later, it was sort of just news kept going from bad to worse. Mm. And one night, it was about four o'clock um, in the afternoon, I, you know, saw, saw my doctor, we were living in Los Angeles, and she was basically like, you know, you're either going to um, lose the lose the child, you're gonna go to extreme labor, and the, it's too before viability. Um, or you're going to need to be on, you know, bed rest for the next four to months. Um, and I was like, either way, I immediately had that instinct of like, I want to go home. <laughs> like, I need to be yeah. home. I need to be by my parents. And so um, for me, my parents live in the Pacific Northwest in the Seattle area. And that night, my husband and I bought tickets for 6 a.m. the next morning uh, to fly to the Seattle area. She sort of, we did a quick procedure. She's like, you have 24 hours to fly if you want to fly. Cause after that, we don't know what's going to happen with your right. body. You could go into labor. Right. Um, so we literally bought tickets at 9 PM for 6 AM the next morning and, um, hopped a plane, showed up at the airport. My dad picked us up and we went to the hospital here in Seattle. And, um, about a week later about, it was actually about like, um, yeah, a couple days later, news just kept getting worse. My body just kept kind of, labor was becoming more and more intimate. And uh, we were sort of faced with this choice of if my body were to go into labor before the 24-week mark, mm -hmm. or excuse me, after the 24-week mark mm. um, in the state of Washington, likewise with the state of California, um, medical law is such that you have to keep the child alive at at any cost. And I was very concerned about sort of the viability of the child, um, the quality of life. Doctors were using very scary words for me during that time, Absolutely. morbidity and, you know, all these frightening words. Um, and so I was given the choice to terminate the pregnancy, to release the pregnancy before the 24 week mark. Mm. And my husband and I sat with that, um, and for us, we ended up feeling like that was the most loving choice for us. It was heartbreaking and terrible uh, choice to have to face, but it was um, a choice, you know, I'm grateful I was given. And for us was just the path that, you know, life kind of took us down and felt right for us. So um, we ended up going through what I like to call a later term abortion because we can get into that later, but yeah. late term abortion implies sort of a late term pregnancy. And yeah. this is not late term pregnancy is past the 40 week mark where a late term abortion refers to past the 20 week mark. It's just languaging in our, in our um, right. culture that it's a little skewed. Right. Um, and yeah. And so we went through that, that procedure mm -hmm. and um and then it was three days later because it was, it was over a holiday weekend. And then three days later, um, I was induced for labor and then gave birth to my stillborn son at that point. And, and then my world fell apart. I mean, my world was already falling apart before Absolutely. that moment. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. every, you know, because this was, this was a pregnancy that we had um, we completely fallen in love with and had sort of, you know, changed everything for it. Yeah. actually quit my job right. to kind of give right. the pregnancy my whole focus and health and yes um, yeah and and then 
and then that's sort of the grief story of what happened and then there's always sort of part two of of the grief story of of the road that you walk after the event that's right the grief um but I'll, I'll leave it there for now thank you so much for sharing that my heart is just um so then into the part two after that grief story you decided to write a memoir and how how long after your grief story I mean I guess I want to know there's always that period after immediate grief and it's just kind of like everything's spinning and everything is still all at once I don't quite know how to explain that but it's like absolute chaos but also nothing is moving nothing I'm I'm frozen yes exactly and so how long I can imagine a long time but how long before you started thinking you know what I'm gonna write something I'm gonna I'm gonna express this I'm gonna get it out because I, I mean for me with my dad it was like I needed like two I, I don't I don't even know how long it was probably like two weeks before I could just even function to yeah to get my brain processing to do something um so what about for you yeah well um it definitely didn't happen right away so yeah, the short no. answer is it took five years okay before I think I could even sit down and be in a place where I could reflect in a deeper way right about what I what I had been through and try and make sense of it um, yeah, I mean, the first two weeks, I always say, you know, it's just Netflix and let your body and your mind and your soul try and like catch up with each other a little and oh, buy yourself time, analogy. you know, in any way you can through whatever distraction means you have. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, it, it I was, think in the initial part, it was, you know, it was, I have a sewing machine behind me. It was, it was, it was the art at that point for me was quilting, crafting. Okay anything mindless anything with my hands um that was super healing for me at that point and then to do the writing work which was more um a deeper emotional dive and more cerebral um that had to happen much later now have you always been into writing as writing kind of your thing or not at all um you know I never thought of myself as a writer before sort of stepping into in is before the last couple years um I have always loved writing I've always I was as a child, I was sort of this nerdy poetry girl. Yes. <laughs> with like, yes. Was really obsessed with Emily Dickinson and, you know, <laughs> would like take it upon myself to just memorize poems and like perform them in my room. As oh. like, you know, a kid, I think I just love the way that words feel coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And I love the way, I think there's something very exciting when you find a word that expresses a truth you feel. That's a very sort of exciting moment for Matches me, whether that. it's reading it um, from somebody else, from another author in poetry form or whatever, or are finding it, finding it yourself yeah. Um, yeah. as a writer. Elizabeth, do you experience that? You, I mean, do you find, what are your thoughts on getting words to, to sync up with your feelings? Oh gosh, that's, that's a hard, well, it's not necessarily hard. I've, I've been a writer probably seriously in my own mind since I was in the third grade um, and it is the way I express myself and I don't I just write and write and write and write mm-hmm. and just get my feelings out um, not necessarily to share with anyone other than myself so that is my uh, I don't want to say necessarily out of grief comes art because what I produce is not necessarily art but it is writing and it's it's my way to get out um, 
One of the things, though, when I was listening to you, Laurel, that I, I realized would uh, be just such a tremendous challenge is that when, when I do write through my grief, I am writing because of a loss, but it is, is mind and heart and soul. It's not my body. And in yeah. your case, you added a body component. How did you ever function at all adding that? Uh, oh, great question. You mean um, in the writing aspect or sort of just yeah, as so, in the well, journey? Kind of, kind of both. both. I mean, the fact that you even did handcrafts, I'm impressed. I mean, it, it, it's just, how did you put one foot in front of the other? Mm. Ooh. Um, slowly. <laughs> I think it all <laughs> happened slowly. That's a good answer. <laughs> That's real. You know, and... Um, yeah, and I think sometimes you don't, and you're you're just you're in bed, and you know, and you're on the couch, um, and there was in for me, uh, as I come, I have a background as an as an actor and a dancer, so kind of embodied arts mm-hmm. is 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 you know kind of like my my background or just lives in me so the body component has always been important and coming back to my body has always been Mm. something that's been in my awareness right Um, and so one thing that i noticed for me in 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 early grief was i didn't really know where to turn you know i felt like there was support groups out there that I had heard about, but they felt very heady, like talking yeah. about it right. was something. And this is ironic because as a writer, I'm like, I love words. But like I said, it took me five years. Initially, like I couldn't even speak. Like I didn't like the words coming out of my mouth. Like I remember feeling like an alien. Like I remember fe- like, you know, walking to a grocery store and like I couldn't even like read words. Right. Like you're just in you're yes. just your brain. Breaks. Like what I said, that chaos and stuff. Yeah. I remember having, for me, it was, it was like watching myself in a slow motion film, right? Mm. You're, like you're detached. And so you, you like see yourself, you know, going into the grocery store, but everything's slow motion. Everyone around you is almost in slow motion. There's like this film, like yes. this, this sort of kind of like you're underwater. It's kind of like you're underwater. Yeah. It's like muffled. Yeah, totally. Just that, like that grief film fog, detachment um and so yeah like being able to sort of the idea of like sitting in a support group and chatting about it was like my brain couldn't make sense like that just seemed like something I wasn't like I just couldn't show up for yeah you were like Um, no thanks next nope that's that's not the activity of the day right (laughs) and then also just to put in there you know being having my you know having so much of the trauma be giving birth in the hospital to a stillborn child yeah um the support groups in the in my area all took place in a hospital and I was like that's the last place I want to go right (laughs) like I don't want to walk back in there yeah so um so yeah, so I ended up sort of creating what I craved, which was um, what I call, and you know, when you say creating sacred space, was I created um, sort of a a circle for women who have had a similar loss, miscarriage, stillbirth, um, infant loss, even. And what we would do in these circles is I would just show up and um, 
I remember buying like dozens and dozens of roses and being like, I just want to cover everybody's body in roses. I just want to show up and not have to talk. I want to just be in space with other women who I know have sort of walked a similar path of mine, who just energetically, I can feel their hearts know my heart in a way that sort of, um, quote, I don't want to say like a common person, but that's kind of the mindset when you're in grief, you're like, you, you start to feel other than, right? Like yes. I, this, this thing has happened to me and I'm, I'm now other than. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, which I felt like I couldn't communicate. And I wanted to sit in space with other women in my body, have my body tended to and not have to talk. Wow. That felt very important to me. And that felt very different than like a support group that felt different than therapy. That was, and it was different than being alone and reading a book. Yeah. I wanted to be with others right. in loving presence and not have to speak and let our bodies just feel the presence of of others and 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 nourish the body mm-hmm. whether it was you know through roses or gong accompaniment or a, a lit candle soft music um just nourish just nourish the body because yeah elizabeth like you said the body um in stillbirth is it's such a um it's such a physical experience. The grief yeah. is so physical and and you hold that trauma in your body. Yeah. Wow, that's so, it reminds me actually, we did an interview not too long ago with a woman whose husband was killed in a motorcycle accident, mm-hmm. but she was also on the motorcycle. So she had, yeah. in addition mm-hmm. to her grief, she had her own physical trauma that she was, uh, and it just seems like that's just such a, a profound addition to grief that, um, most of us, you know, I mean, I, just trying to comprehend that uh, is is extraordinary. And then to have you put words around it, I, I could see why it would take a while. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to to um, comment because this is a phrase that you used when I first interviewed you as I was preparing to write Untold. And you used the phrase, I gave birth to death. Yeah. And I actually used that in, in the play. Um, could you explain a little bit about what that means to you? Because mm-hmm. it obviously resonated with me. Yeah. Um, that became a phrase that almost went on loop in my mind after I had given birth to my son um, because it broke my brain. It, it was like, and kind of, it is one of those things that like, when we said you feel other than, sort of catapulted me into this sensation of, I no longer belong in the world. Like I, I am no longer part of reality. Like this, this, this thing happened to me or I experienced this thing, um, that doesn't make any sense. I don't make sense. The world doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's just, I guess to really speak to that, the, the moment of giving birth and to, to a child who, you know, is stillborn, um, you're holding such duality. I mean, it was just, it, to me, it was, it was just like a spiritual experience, you know, in the sense of it was holding the allness of life. Mm-hmm. It was because I absolutely felt like I, I know, and I, and even right then I catch myself, I, I was going to say, I felt like I gave birth. But the truth is, I did give birth. Yes, right, <laughs> right, right. right. Not that I felt like I did. I did. And that's yep. something I think that still um, mothers of stillborn children really struggle with is feel is invisibility of the birth experience. 
And, and it's different than, um, you know, I've had early term miscarriages as well. And for me, the stillbirth, it's a very different experience going through labor Mm. is a thing. You know, I, I was 10 hours of labor before I gave birth and you're, you're you're in the hospital for 10 hours knowing that your child is already passed away. You're going to give birth to this child. Truly a labor Um, of love. I mean, truly. And, and, um, but yet, in that moment of transition, in that moment of giving birth, mm-hmm. I felt such joy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt such love. Yeah. And I felt such pride. Good. Because yeah. I, I had done this extraordinary act of giving birth. Yeah. And, and, there, and it was a moment of union. It was a moment where this being that I had you know, been living inside me, gestating, growing that I had fallen in love with. He and I were now meeting in the outside world for the first time. And I saw his face and his nose and his eyes. And the nurse, you know, puts puts the child in your arms. And it's it's a birth moment. It mm-hmm. has all the all the makings of a birth story. And yet, you know, the child is is dead. <laughs> I mean, I hate to use the word dead because it's yeah, such no. a final but word, but that's, at this point, yeah. skirting around it also doesn't feel right either. I yeah, I was gonna say that. You know? I, yeah. Um because that is the truth. And when you say I gave birth to death, that's what it was. It was like, oh my god, I gave birth, and then you're holding your child and you're like, but he's dead. Mm. And your brain is just like Make it make yeah. There it, it makes make no it sense. make sense for me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. And, and it can't. And it can't. can't. Right. And um, you know, and I know Elizabeth, you and I chatted about about this. You know, one of my strategies for that was I have like an improv background, so it became very much this yes and was my was my coping strategy. It was yes, I gave birth to death, or yes, I gave birth and my child passed away or yes I gave birth to death and then it was that's how I took those steps like how did you how did you take a step in the morning it was like yes I gave birth to death and I can walk up the stairs and go get tea and coffee um and I think I really had to that became sort of this rolling sentence in my mind because my psyche had to own it and I had to make sense of it and so it was just like the repetition Mm -hmm. and just really sitting with that was necessary for me to kind of just uh, just you know acknowledge the truth of what had happened so that I could take the next step from that place right so uh, I right. want to know how did you deal with others I mean really truly how did you deal and sorry guys if you hear bangings there's a toddler upstairs somewhere doing something and I don't want to know so we're just all gonna ignore it um that's fine but um I I want to know how you dealt with others because um, I have somebody in my life personally who actually has just gone through something very similar. And it's this, you know, it's very hard for us as caregivers on the other, you know, we just want to support and love. Yeah. And, and on one hand, you're like, I'm going to go sit with this person and just be in their space and see what they need. But then on the other hand, you're like, they probably want space and they probably need some alone. So having been through this, like, how did you deal with others? Because I'm sure you felt both at sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think I will say, first off, it is such a hard position for anyone. 
Yeah. The whole like, being with someone in grief thing is so hard. Yeah. And being someone in grief, being with other people is so hard. I mean, that bridge is so hard to... In and amongst itself. Yeah. In and of amongst itself. So I yes. just want to like... Start with that. Start with that. Like, this is not easy territory, no matter what side of the bridge you're on. Yeah. And and um, I think, well, for me, I was in a unique situation where I think when I first was telling you that story, um, where my husband and I hopped that plane mm-hmm. the next morning, that was actually the last, we moved. That, that was how we, I lived in LA for 14 years. That was it. And that was it. That's how I moved. Like the amount of times I thought I was going to leave LA and I fantasized leaving LA numerous times. Never in my life would I have thought that that is how it would have gone down. Right. Um, so we showed up in the Seattle area and then my mom lived on Bainbridge Island. And mm. at that point, I, to answer your question, I couldn't think about being with others. Mm. And we literally just like ran away to my mom's basement and um, stayed there for the summer and we didn't go back to our, I didn't go back to my life in LA. Right. Um, and I now live on Bainbridge. That was eight years ago. <laughs> now we're here. People always ask me, how'd you move here? And I never, I'm like, well, yeah. do you want the real story or do you want like the, <laughs> right. the, the elevator pitch? Right. The real story is, is kind of, is this story is, you know, what happened my, with my stillborn son and, and the, the need to find refuge and to escape and to, um, I couldn't, I didn't know how to explain to talk about it. Right. Um, so I, I really ret- retreated and, um, and in my immediate environment, I was living in a place where I didn't know anyone. So there wasn't anybody to, to right. Okay. There wasn't sort of an immediate community for me to kind of standing receive. outside your window. Like, can we feed you? And you're like, right. go no, away. No, right. Right. I, I, um, yeah. Okay. I ran away. Um, and, I, and I've often thought about women who have to, like, go back to work Ugh. two weeks later or a month later. Or you don't even get – when you give birth to a stillborn baby, you don't even – you don't get your six-week postpartum leave, which right. to me, I, Blow, that's you know, like, crazy. You, you gave birth. Like, yeah. you need your maternity leave. You yeah. know? Like, right. it's, it's physical recovery needs to happen. And a lot of mental recovery. And mental recovery. A lot right? of so mental. I've often thought about those women and, and thought, how did, they, how did they do it? And felt felt very grateful that – um, I, I sidestepped that. Um, and so, and then I think slowly, as far as being with others, it was really wanting to, wanting to be with others who I felt had, had a similar experience in those sort of circles that ended up being formed for me. Who could that see was, you from where was, you were at? Mm-hmm. Who, I'm sorry, I didn't. Who could see you and meet you where you were at? Yeah, meet me where I was at and, um... And then, and then also, I think so much of why I needed a retreat and so much of my silence kind of at that time was because of this element where I had, quote, made a choice in the matter of mm. this, of this death, right. of this stillbirth. Um, and I had no idea. I had no idea how to, how to voice that. And um, I came up with all sorts of elevator pitches Oh, cool. um, that that skirted around that element okay. of the story, and I used those pitches for years. It really wasn't until I started writing my memoir that I began to feel any um, sort of solace or okayness in myself to actually 
bring that aspect of the story forward. So when you sat down and started writing your memoir, how did you approach it? I mean, did you just sit down and was there something inside of you that was that was like, you know what, I'm just going to speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And we're going to do this. Or did you start writing it as more of a, this is going to be my diary, and then it kind of turned into more? It's a great question. So the truth is, I actually never sat down to write a memoir. I sat down to create an online community and course for women. I'd been sort of working with these circles in the sacred space, wanting to create something that was sort of, you know, not the support group with the folding chairs and the bad coffee and, you know, not the therapy office, but this like other zone And I wanted to be able, and I was trying to find a way to take that online, to take that, you know, to expand that work. And um, so when I sat down to create the course, I thought I would, each each module would sort of begin with an aspect of my story to kind of use as a springboard for a discussion point, a teaching point, whatever you want to call it. Um, So I sort of sat down to then just mine my story for these things. And it was like, in two weeks, I had like 60 pages written. And, And it was just this like you know and word vomit sort of, a lot I don't know, yeah, like the yeah. floodgates open right you know? like I just was like wow and you know a friend of mine at the time was like Laurel you're writing a book like this isn't a course this is a book yeah and um and that felt that felt true and I was like mm-hmm. yeah I think yeah I think I, I think am. this needs to be a book and um for me it was it was so what I experienced felt so complex that I couldn't I, you know, I couldn't bring it to Instagram. I couldn't bring it to a blog post. I couldn't bring it to anything else felt like I wasn't doing my heart or my child justice than the breath of a book. It needed to live in this sort of larger container that had room to go into nuance and to go down this path and go down that path. Um, Yeah, so... Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then once, once sort of I started writing, um, it was just me mining for story. And then it was sort of this idea of like, I just want to get the puzzle pieces out. Like, I just want to like get all the puzzle pieces out on the table. And then after that, it was a challenge of, okay, well, all these pieces are on the puzzle. How do I put these together to create a cohesive picture, to create a cohesive storyline? Um, and then that became sort of the, the technical writing challenge, um, which probably came about a year after just mining, right. mining for stories. Right. Wow. You know, um, I remember it's been a couple of years now, but um, we did an online version of the play Untold, uh, and Dr. Uh, Jillian Tullis uh, down in San Diego mo- moderated the discussion afterwards, and your husband joined us. Yeah. Which was really wonderful and we got tremendous feedback because oftentimes the husband is not or the spouse or partner is not there, um, either by choice or, you know, the focus, whatever. Um, and I didn't I meant to look up the statistic, but I do know that it's very high percentage of marriages that end up in divorce after the loss of a child, you know, under any circumstances. So could you speak a little bit, if you don't mind, um, about your your husband and his involvement in helping you during this time or not helping? <laughs> yes, it's such a good question. Um, and we went through a really rocky time after that, you know. Um, I think it's really hard 
your emotions are so raw and so charged for both of you. Mm. Um, and you're hurting so much um, that it is really hard to kind of not let that that anger. I think when we have an injustice, you feel an injustice or an anger inside of you, anger has this, or at least for me, has a way where it's like it need it wants a direction to run at, right? Like it wants somewhere. Yes. It yes. wants somewhere to a go. A finger to point. Like, you know, yeah. I need to funnel, like this needs to go here, right? And I think in grief, what's so hard is there's there's no one, no thing to really be mad at. Sometimes things just happen that break your heart. Circ- something happens that doesn't make sense and there's nowhere to put that anger, that feeling of injustice, that heartache. And that's, as humans, we're not sort of equipped or we haven't, I think we've lost touch on how to be with anger, how to be with that grief in a way that is just being with it. Mm-hmm. We're sort of in a, we've sort of, our, our more habitual patterning is to let that anger go here, go there. And what happens is it can go at your spouse, right? Like they're, they're the closest person in the room. <laughs> like they're, they're right there living in the, in the muck with you. Totally. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, and it's, it's not theirs to receive. It's not, and it's not, um, yours to receive their anger. But I think that's just, that's a dynamic that can get going. And, um, and I think it took us a really long time. It took me a really long time to kind of realize, okay, um, this, this, this anger inside me that needs somewhere to run, right? not to have it run at my husband. Um, and so that, that took time to kind of just, (laughs) I don't know, get to, and then I think the more immediate thing, what probably saved us as far as just a tactic goes is, um, again, kind of me going back to like, uh, a little bit of my, my background in improvisational theater, um, which is just play. And I had read this book on, um, what I call like play. He, um, it's Stuart Brown wrote a book called, and I'm going to blank now. Maybe we can look it up. Oh, I can. Um, yes. Do you know Stuart Brown's book on play? I do. Yes, and I'm not, I'm drawing a blank too, but we'll um, find it. Anyways, he talks about sort of um, how it sh- play, play how it shapes type. the brain. Thank you. What is it? Play, how it shapes the brain. Okay, it's just called play. That's yeah, you were right. You were spot on. <laughs> the name of it is play. I was like, it's yeah, play. Yeah. But, okay. So, and he goes down, he calls, he talks about um, play personality types. And I interpret that a little bit as our play languages, right? Like kind of, we kind of, kind of, my husband and I kind of took love languages and yeah. the Stuart Brown concept of like play personality types. And we kind of put them together in this, I don't know, weird, um, you know, blender. And we, st- we really started looking at what are, what are our, what is, what are our play languages together? How do, how do my husband and I play together? And um, we identified those as we love to explore. Um, we love to be physical together as far as like, you know, throwing Frisbee or, you know, going out and, put, you know, yep. tossing a baseball or a soccer ball. Um, we love to, you know, exploring for us is getting in a car and just like driving up the coast and right. seeing what happens. Like, so yeah. we, um, I think play saved us. For me, I have to say like play is the antidote of grief. Um, and you can have play and be grieving at the same time. And so in those early, in that early grief, 
play was our lifeline. I think mm. it was our lifeline to both as an individual and also for our marriage. Mm. I need yep. finding that play, that common play language. Right. Right. Wow. Oh, that is beautiful. And we often end our podcast by asking what you might as what you would recommend to someone who is going through something similar, some grief. Uh, what, and uh, I love this play idea, but if, do you have uh, any other uh, words of wisdom that helped you and your husband or you personally? Um, well, I think, I mean, even this podcast, like out of grief comes art. For me, art is play. Like right. art is how I like to play. You know, art is, a, is an expression of play. Um, so yeah, I think, I think just, just, just knowing that it's okay, I guess I would say it's okay to grieve and to play. It's okay to grieve. Um, my husband and I, we had this funny thing where we would, we had this incredibly large, very like angry black cat that- um, <laughs> Like a real cat or like a stuffed animal cat? No, like a real cat. Oh. We had these two cats, but one of them in particular was just this, we just, his name is Paris. And he just was like this 20 pound cat. Oh my gosh. And what my husband and I would do, and my husband started this, is he would put on 90s hip hop music. Oh, good choice. And would like pick up this cat and start dancing. And I would be like, and he would do this, like I would be crying. I'd be like in the throes of grief, like just yeah, ugly right. on the couch. And it's like, I think when you talk about how do you be with others, you don't know. And my husband at one point was like, I have no idea how, how to help my wife in this moment. So he like picked up the cat, put on 90s music, and they just started dancing. And you can't not break a smile to like this ginormous cat, you know, yeah. 90s hip hop music. And to me, that was play. And that was that was that that's that lifeline. Like, and, and being yeah. able to realize I'm allowed to to be heartbroken and and I'm allowed to get up and have a kitty dance party with my husband yeah. one yes. doesn't make that it doesn't take away the, yeah embracing the kitty dance party with your husband does not mean that my grief is any less than is any is you know it that i'm ignoring it or that i'm not tending to or i'm not feeling it as deeply as i truly feel it yeah yes yeah. that's that like, yes and yes i can grieve and I can still have a kitty dance party, and that's okay. <laughs> you know, I have to share oh, this. I, I have to share this story with our listeners because they've been through my grief journey in real time, um, right? And with me and my husband, who was just a crack up. Um, same, sim similar. I remember I was fresh in the throes of grief, and I'm like laying in bed. You know, we put the kids to bed, which is a battle when you're you know, grieving and trying yeah. to also do stuff. And I'm just laying in bed and I was just, I mean, depressed, staring at the wall, just tears streaming down my face. And he comes in with a bottle of wine and flips his, his hat backwards. And I think he was like in some sweatpants or something. And he just gets on the floor next to the bed and starts trying to do the splits. And <laughs> my husband's like 6'3", 250, like just a huge, you know, football player, like type of dude. And he just gets down. And I remember I looked at him and I was like... What are you doing? And he was like, I'm trying to do the splits. And I'm like, just so simple. And I was, why? And he goes, I don't know. I've never been able to do the splits. And then he's like, how far from the ground am I? And he's like, four feet from the, you know, like he's such a big guy. He's like making no progress. And I'm, and it was just so funny. So I think you're, 
you know, and I couldn't, yeah. I remember I giggled. Right. I remembered I was, I gave myself right. a little permission to just, yeah, you yeah, know, take them off. Yeah, I guess so just give yourself that permission. And, right. and I love that story because what it also sort of makes me realize is I think we need those moments to sometimes yeah. like snap our brain out of the state that we're in a little. Totally, right? I couldn't like, agree more. We need this like extreme opposition to kind of be like, oh, you know, okay, splits and wine. Yeah. What's happening here? What's, right? Like your brain's we... like, uh-uh. Yeah. Like, what's right. happening here? Right. And, and that, 20 pound like, kitty and, party, dance party. That's all right. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> like, right. And, then, and that like, uh-uh. Yeah. It's like you have a moment of relief, of relief from the grief, of relief yeah. from the heaviness, yeah. right? And that moment is a breath for you. That mm. moment shifts something in you. That moment, I think, are those little moments. I think it's also those steps you talk about. It's those little moments that you get that almost that reprieve from mm. the heaviness, from the heartbreak that allows you to take one step Absolutely. more down your path towards healing, towards, um, you know, yeah. wherever you are going. To wherever, or, yeah. Know, right. Right. Wow. Oh, that is brilliant. I well, love that. I this love that. has and been absolutely amazing. Been, <laughs> this is fabulous. Yeah. Uh, we could definitely talk on forever. Um, and, you know, maybe in the second season, definitely. we'll have you back and talk about, you know, how the book's going and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, progress on that. But I, I really want to personally thank you. I know this is hard to live and talk about. And I just really appreciate you being willing to share it with our audience. Um, I also wanted to let our audience know that we have copies of your guide to miscarriage and pregnancy loss, which is called Hope and Healing When You're No Longer Expecting. And it was written by Dr. Dr. Kate White, who's an OBGYN and marriage or a miscarriage survivor as well. Um, and we do have some copies of this book that were donated by the publisher. And so if you email me, I can... Um, uh, it, I only have a limited amount, but I have quite a few copies. If you email me at ecopeland.com, I will send out these free copies. Um, but I also want to say that no book will replace the personal stories hmm. that we hear from people like you, Laurel, and how those stories are what people resonate with. So, again, thank you so much for being here today. Um, and I'm just excited to hear about the next phase in your life, which will come up no doubt very soon. So thank you both for creating this platform for stories to be told. It's um, just really wonderful and beautiful. And I'm just so grateful that you guys are doing this and so lovely to to meet you, Hallie. Oh, yeah. Just um, grateful to have you in my life, Elizabeth. So and how crazy! I didn't even I didn't even know you were on Bainbridge. So now we'll have to get together or something, guys. Yes. If you we'll would have to have a kitty dance party. Oh my god! And drink wine. Drink, drink wine, and then we'll do a splits contest. If anybody would like to, to tune in, we'll go live. Um, it's a new type of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> What's yes, What's you guys. If you would like to catch up with Laurel more, she does have a website www.lauramarlantes I don't know if I said that right yes, .com Marlantes, yes. okay um, com. go ahead check her out and you can also connect with her at that handle Laura Marlantes on Facebook Instagram and Twitter uh, of course I will link it all up in our description of this podcast and on our website thank you so much for being here today and this has thank been another episode of Out of Grief Comes Art the podcast I'm Hallie and we and I'm Elizabeth. And we and there's Elizabeth, <laughs> and this is also we had Laurel today. And thank you guys. Have a great Wednesday.